Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all this evening. It's good to see me. Well, praise the Lord, just one person. All right, amen. <laughs> two, all right, we got two. Can you just turn it up so I don't have to yell so much? I feel like I'm, ugh, so forgive me. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy. We've come as far as chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Does anyone need a Bible while I'm up? We get to come to a beautiful chapter here this evening. Every chapter in the Bible is beautiful, amen? But uh, this, this chapter is interesting because we're going to go through the blessings and cursings. We started talking that about that last week. Specifically, very interesting how God had set this up in a way that they wouldn't be able to miss it or forget it. Um, he basically took half the tribes and put them on Mount Ebal. Do you remember what Mount Ebal stands for in the Hebrew? Right? So it stands for barren. Barren, speaking the barrenness, barren, you know, cursing, that was what Mount Ebal would be. And that's on one side. If you know where, um, uh, how can I really, uh, the West Bank, if I say the West Bank in Israel, that's the area at the valley of that is kind of where Mount Ebal is. And then you have another mountain called Mount Gerizim, right? And that is the mount that which the other half of the six tribes, as we read in uh, verses 11 and 12, they're going to be on that side, and they're going to be basically uh, yelling blessings across. So picture this in your mind. You have half of the tribes, and we just believe it's the tribal leaders. We don't think that, you know, you know, three million or two million split up, one million and one million, but we believe it was the leaders of the tribes. They went up on one side, and they were, you know, blessings and then obviously curses. And what's beautiful in the way they would do this is God had commanded them to say, and the people would respond, Amen, so be it, so that everybody was agreeing, and yes, we, we, we agree, we agree. So that's what we're picking up here uh, tonight, and it's interesting because blessings can, can be related to cause and effect, right? We, we understand there's, there's consequences to sin, but they're not limited by cause and effect. Does everybody understand that? You, do you know what I mean? They, they can, God is sovereign, certainly, and, and certainly they, the blessings from God can be related to this cause, but they're not, they're not limited by that either. I think that's important um, because God is sovereign. So let's look here in verse 1 of chapter 28. 28. Now it shall come to pass if, notice that, that's the first thing that should catch our attention. That's a conditional statement. Now as we, we get into chapter well, further on down, actually, we'll see if, which isn't really a good translation. I'll talk about it when we get there. It's really a translation of because. But in this particular case, this is a conditional statement. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, right? All and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. It speaks to intimacy of a relationship here because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But it also speaks to the fact that when we obey God, it's not wrong to expect God's blessing to be foretold, you know, to go before us. Now, this blessing isn't the idea of riches and wealth and all the extravagant mammon and everything else. That, that's not what this is saying. Inherently, in just following God's commandments, statutes, and judgments, there's a blessing in being in the will of God, right? I think we all understand that to some extent because some of us maybe, well, let me speak to me. In my life, there's times where I was not in the will of God. And 
sometimes when we look upon that or on others, it seems like, Lord, why are you allowing this? Have you, have you ever noticed that there's sometimes people that may be doing evil things or wicked things, and it seems like nothing happens. There's no, you know, they seem to be getting blessed as well. Why, why is there not immediate correction? And I think if, if we just took a microcosm of Scripture, and this is all we studied, we might come to that um, inaccurate conclusion. But because we have all of Scripture and all of the counsel of God, we realize that judgment will one day be poured out. It's nothing that anyone can escape. And that's why Jesus Christ was sent, his only begotten son, to redeem all of humanity, because there is no way to escape that judgment unless you have one that has redeemed you, that is willing to take your sin, my sin, upon himself, right? So that when it comes time for that time of judgment, if you would, he can stand up and say, he's mine, she's mine, and the blood of the lamb. And very early on in Israel's history, they began to understand that because as they were traveling before they left out, what did God have them do? Take a lamb and slaughter it and the blood and put it on the lintel and the post. The lamb of God, the blood of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, right? It it was a beautiful picture. And so he's reminding us that when we stay in the will of God, certainly we can expect that blessing. Now there's certainly, as we get down to verse 15, there's, if you don't stay in the will of God, there are going to be consequences to sin, even if they're not readily apparent before you today. And I think that's the thing that, if I think back to the days that I was uh, not born again and not walking with Christ, not walking with Jesus, I probably thought, well, there's always tomorrow, or I'll get saved next year, next week, next month, something like that, because maybe I wasn't broken, or I didn't have that immediate threat upon me that something's going to happen right now. And in those moments of brokenness, and when we get to those places where we're just poured out, and we have nothing left. You know, God so gently and lovingly comes in and he swoops us into his arms and he cares for us and he rebuilds us and he, he heals us and he brings us and makes us whole. But we can't always see that, right? We, we don't think that's going to happen to us. You know, sometimes people will know the Lord, I've done so many evil and wicked things, the Lord couldn't love me. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And then there's the other extreme. Well, well, I've got all the time I need, and I'll wait till I'm 90 on my deathbed, and that's when I'll accept Christ, right? That's also foolish because God has set appointed a specific amount of time for each person that's alive, and we don't know what that is. And when that time comes, we want to be with Jesus, don't we? And that's why God wants us to have his blessings, That's why he's pronouncing this on Israel. He knows. He's sovereign. He knows what they were going to do. He knows they're going to walk contrary to Scripture. But he wants them to be reminded of how to return home. It begins by humbling yourself and obeying God. And that's what he's going to help us to learn here tonight. Because as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, these examples are for you and I today as well. And so he says, 
And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord. I like that. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall be in the country. The city speaks to where you would live at that time and the country would be where you would labor. That's speaking to the agricultural nation or the idea of what Israel would become. They're nomadic. They're no longer going to be nomadic as they go in the promised land, right? They're going to, they're going to be agricultural. They're going to be agrarians. So he's speaking to them because often they would live in these groupings of these areas, a city, you might say, but the fields and everything like that would be what we would consider a rural area. And so they would work that. So he's saying you'd be blessing in your homes and at work. That's what he's saying here in this. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, that pro- the, the produce of the ground and the increase of the herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed you shall be when you come in, and blessed you shall be when you go out. How awesome is that? You guys want to be blessed that way? I want to be blessed that way. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, or before your face, excuse me. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. What does seven mean? It speaks to completeness, that they would be completely, that God would not just defeat them one way, but as they would leave, they would be away. They would not pose any additional danger to you. It would be a complete deliverance from harm and evil that way. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he had sworn to you if You keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his way. It's conditional. And it's conditional for us today because he's given us choice. We have free will. But just because we have free will doesn't mean when we exercise exercise our free will, we don't face consequences to that. Amen? I think we all understand that. That's not God being mean or setting anybody up for failure by giving them free will and then allowing them to step in that and then receive the correction. For he says, for who he loves, he corrects. Then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And I want you to think back, or think too, because we'll be getting there in a few weeks, the first chapters of Joshua, Rahab. Remember Rahab? Right? She, she was in Jericho as the walls are. They come around. They see her there. She, she basically says, I've, I've heard. God has gone before you. I've heard all the things that God has done for your people, for you. And she basically comes and helps them, lowers them down on the other side. They're able to get out. And they said, look, when we come back, if you, you, know, you put out this scarf and you, we'll know it's your home. Gather your people and bring them into that home and no harm will come to them. I think that's very important. Because it's always a hard issue. It's, another example of that is Ruth, right? The Moabitess. I thought God, Israel, was not to be marrying other nations and intermarrying that way. The reason he had given them that law was so that they didn't commit idolatry. But we see beautifully through Ruth when she turned around and married Boaz, right? Which would come Obed, Jesse, and then King David. It was never an issue with the circumstance of marrying someone like that that was different of the different nation. It was, don't lead them into pagan. It was always a heart issue. That wasn't sin. So 
God's promises had already gone before. And that's interesting because when you go to the book of Ruth, when she lays at the feet of Boaz, we get to see a beautiful promise again that God has even declared here, that her reputation had preceded her to Boaz. And Boaz was able to say to her, I've heard about you. I've heard about you. I know about you. I know how you've been very kind to your mother-in-law. I know all the things that you've done. Remember that? And God had just poured out that blood. God had gone before, and he goes before us today that way. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless the work of your hand. You shall lead or lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Oh, man. America was like that at one time. America was a nation where we were not, what is it, $22, $23 trillion in debt today? There was a time when we were on a gold standard. There was a time we didn't just print money to print money, but it was tied to actual gold that we could back up and had that, right? Uh, today, you know that Fort Knox is, you know, still there. And the interesting thing is the guards that work there aren't allowed to speak of it or speak of anything that goes on with the security clearance. But isn't it interesting? You know, if it was such a threat, what do you think they don't want people to know? There's nothing in there anymore. You know, think about it for a minute. You know, look at the problem in America. Do you know... Um, who our largest owners of American debt is? Do you know who has purchased most of America's debt? China. China, that's right. And do you know the next country? It's Japan. China and Japan. And then Belgium. And there's, there's other countries that come after that. It's, it's quite interesting. If you look at it on a, a scatter map or you look at it on a pie chart, um, we need to turn back to God. We need to get control of our finances. We, we need to be faithful, not to spend what we don't have. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left, um, to go after other gods to serve them. What's he drawing their attention to? Idolatry. He's saying when you go out of the will of God to the right or left, whether it's a smidgen or 10 feet, it's going to lead to idolatry, right? It's going to lead to disobedience. Anything that comes between your soul and God is idolatry. That's idolatry. So he's gone through and he's just told them what a beautiful amount. I mean, how awesome were those blessings? that he's going to pour out on Israel, that he designed as a good father. He wants to give his kid good goods. He wants to pour all of this out on Israel. He wants them to be blessed. This is God's design for Israel. And honestly, this is God's design for you and I, isn't it? He wants to bless us. He wants to love us. He wants to care for us. He wants us to walk in his will, to be obedient. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. To observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be you, or cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the country, in your home and in your work. He's 
giving you the exact opposite of what he said in verse 3. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Again, verse 5. He had told them they would be blessed if they followed him. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. That, again, is contrary to verse 4, which was the blessing, right? Cursed shall be you when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The exact opposite of what he promised the blessing for those that stood in their will in verse 6. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed or until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. Barnhouse wrote a book called The Invisible War. I spoke on it many months ago. I think when we were even going through Exodus, I talked about it. I, we, we had it in the bookstore. I, quite honestly, I, I don't recollect if it's still there or not anymore, if there's any left. I think we may be out. We may need to order more. I'd encourage you to get that book if you have not read it, The Invisible War. It goes through and it does a remarkable... Um, I mean, it talks a little bit about some things that, you know, we may not agree with scripturally when it comes to gap theory or time. And, you know, but when he goes back and he studies between the plagues and he looks at the plagues that were poured out upon Egypt, how they were in direct uh, contention with the idolatry and the practices that were being by the pagan gods, how each one of those plagues was targeting a specific pagan god. Remember, in Egypt, they had over 7,800 different pagan gods. So uh, obviously when the plagues were poured out, he was drawing his attention. So it just made me remind, you know, as I was going through this, I thought, well, boy, you know, you think about the plagues that went out to Egypt. He's saying, hey, these plagues will cling to you, which has consumed you from the land, which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with the consumption with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. Right? They shall be pursue until you perish. None of these sound good to me. They just don't sound good to me. And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze. And the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. It's basically going to affect everything. It's talking about totality. The Lord will change the rain on your land to powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. I want you to think how important that is to an agrarian society where you're reliant upon rain to, to water the uh, vineyard, to water the crop, to have that rain and to not have that blessing, but to have a curse. It affects everything. Because that's exactly what he's pointing out. He's saying, don't you see what sin does? Sin permeates. And he says, it doesn't just stop there. It'll affect every aspect of your life until it finally consumes you and destroys you. And that's what he's trying to communicate to them, that these cursings, which quite honestly often are the consequence to the sin of walking in idolatry, contrary to God, these things heap upon us because of that when we walk out of the will of God. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies, and you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, the exact opposite of what he promised in the blessing. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Compare that to verse 7. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. <laughs> no one shall frighten them away. That's lovely, right? That, that creates a good mental picture, right? The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch. 
from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, confusion. Please underline that. Madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. Hold your finger here. Turn to Romans chapter 1. A year or so, we were in the book of Romans, or maybe, maybe somewhere around there a little longer. Look at verse with me, please. Let's look at verses 21 through 28 here right now. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Isn't that what we read over here a moment ago? It talked about uh, the mind, how you know there would be madness, blindness, confusion. Right? He says that, the, the, he goes on to say, thankful that their thoughts, their foot, their hearts would be darkened. And just, oh my. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creepy things describing. I mean, today we don't necessarily see that in the way that we would think. What he's talking about is idols. He's talking about idolatry, right? Four-footed animal, golden calf. Sometimes you can go into, there's churches, uh, you know, you can walk in and you can see statues and people are down on their knees and they're praying or worshiping in front of a statue like that. You know, that's, that's not, you know, we're not to have anything of heaven above and, or earth below, right? We're not to worship any of these things. Why do you think God said that? What do you think God was trying to do? He was trying to draw our attention, not to something that we make with our hands, because that's exactly what we see in the Old Testament, that while Moses is up getting the pattern for the tabernacle and everything that would come from that, right, as they were going to build the, the ark of the tower, you know, you just, what was Aaron down there doing with the people? He was, build, he was making a molded calf, putting it in the fire, forming of something with his hands that he could worship, because the people wanted something to worship like the gods of Egypt, and so he's saying, don't do that. Don't worship something that can be made with human hands. Worship God. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, I don't, I don't have those idols in my house. You know, I don't have statues of Buddha. I don't have, you know, those things. Are, but I want you to think about what other idols you have in your life. You know, mammon and money and possessions and comfort and I think America is very idolatrous. I think we're very much a pagan country. I'm not saying that America isn't a Judeo-Christian company in its foundation and values. But I do believe that I think much like the rest of the world, we'd be naive not to think that, that while we may not be building or crafting idols and putting them in our prayer closet any longer, you know, as they did in thousands of years ago, people are still heaping up for themselves idols. And those can take on a lot of different forms, not just things that we make with our hands. God into an image made like the corruptible man's, the birds, the four-foot animals, the creeping things. Therefore, God has also given them up to what? Uncleanness in their lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies. Among. Do you see how it begins to, what happens when they begin to worship these idols and not the living God? He then, he says, he gives them up to it. It's not that he curses them with it. He gives them up to it, which means there's a lust in the carnality of their heart that's drawn to it, and he then no longer 
blocks them from it. He says, you know what? It should be my will be done, God's will. He says, but I'm a gentleman. If this is what you want to do, then you push on and my spirit will be removed from you and you'll sear the spirit of God and you'll begin to get exactly what you want. And what you want and what it comes down, those that are walking in this uncleanness, lust of their hearts, the dishonor their body among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Oh, we're seeing that today. You know, uh, we, we allow babies to be murdered in this country even a week after they're alive in New York, and yet animals have more protection. There's endangered animals that have more protection than human beings do today. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Again, giving them up to it. It gets, uh, for their women exchange the natural use for it. Starts talking about lesbian. He begins to say, and now what happens next? Now it becomes even more vile. And we start to see homosexuality and lesbian and, and, and transgender. And everything starts to, to kind of heap that way. Likewise, men. Leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. What does that mean? Well, we see disease. We see things that come up, sexually transmitted disease, all these things that begin to arise. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, notice that. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge because everyone is born with a measure of faith. The Holy Spirit is in every single person at time of conception. It's what draws them to Jesus. Then once we get born again, he's with us. And then as we've been studying on Sundays, he comes, a P in the Greek, upon us. Right? And we receive the deutimus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that God... So they don't want to retain their knowledge of God. Why do you think that is? I think much like Saul of Tarsus when he was on the road to Damascus. It wasn't that he didn't know. Jesus said, why? All right, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you kicking against the, the pricks, Saul? What Jesus was saying is that the Spirit of God that was in Saul was bearing witness when Jesus was brought to a false trial. The Spirit of God was bearing witness when Stephen was martyred and saw God, as he was Jesus, specifically, as he was being martyred, as Paul was standing there, Saul, excuse me at that point, using his Jewish name, he was standing there holding Stephen's clothes. He knew. And he was fighting that inside. That's what he's talking about. And I don't know if you can remember, before you were saved, that battle that was going on in you. You knew God was real. It was a matter of whether you wanted to submit or not, whether you wanted to receive God, whether you, wanted, whether you wanted a Lord and a Savior in your life. Because you knew once you did, you were blood-bought and you were His forever. Forever. Forever transformed and changed, healed and set apart, made holy. We've been given so much, haven't we? We've been given so much. For those that have not asked Jesus, they, they, they see dimly. Do you remember how excited you got when you, you picked up a Bible and you started reading? And it was like all of a sudden things that you never saw before 
started coming to light. You started, you know, connecting dots. It's like, whoa, this is great. And you're seeing, and it's like the dim light that you could barely see before. All of a sudden, it was like somebody took the blinds and went, and it was like light poured in, and you could see. But, but if I go to you on a Saturday morning, no, I'm not going to come into your house while you're asleep, and don't, don't get afraid. But if I came to your house Saturday morning, and it was 4 or 5 a.m. or whenever, you know, sunrise would be at different times of year, and I opened up the blinds, and you just worked late that night, Friday night, maybe finishing up work, and I come in real early, and what's it feel like? Whoa! It's, it's, it's overwhelming at first, right? It's, whoa, it's bright. Because before, we saw so dimly. We saw so dimly. And as Jesus continues to do the work of sanctification in our lives, you know what ends up happening? We actually see better. We begin to understand. We begin to to submit. We begin to release and let go. We begin to be comforted and loved and being willing to receive that love from Jesus. Willing to rest. Take upon his yoke, right? Not ours. It's a process, you know, salvation's in an instant, but sanctification's a lifetime. And, and, and so what happens when you don't do that? Well, then it gets even worse because when you turn around and you don't want to retain the knowledge of God at all, then he gives them over to a what? Debased mind. Oh my. Madness. No longer able to I mean, oh, you know, I look at our country today and I begin to think about how divided we are and the arguing and the fighting and everything going on. And it's just madness. It's, 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 it's nuggets of truth interlaced with lies upon lies. People putting stories and agenda. Look at our politics. Look at our country that way. It's no longer about putting man or woman and serving the people. It's about drawing attention to themselves and drawing people to themselves. And I'm not saying there's not good men and women out there. There absolutely are. There absolutely are. And God has put them in the administration today. And God has put them in both parties, I imagine. But, you know, it's not just here either. You know, uh, as I think I told you, I was talking with a friend in Israel just a couple days ago. And he was saying uh, that the elections, you know, with, with Benjamin Netanyahu, that they had, I think it was up till uh, two days ago. I think it's, I think it's passed now. I think the time, forty-eight hours, has gone by. Uh, that if they couldn't, the, the other gentleman, I forget if his, my, his name slipped in my mind. If he couldn't raise a party and staff a party by that point, that it was going to go to a third election. I'm praying for Benjamin Netanyahu. I, I am praying. I, I hope you'll join me in praying for Israel and praying for Benjamin. He. You know, he came to our country here, and he spoke to Congress, and one of the first things he did was describe the Decalogue to them that was right behind them. He says, look, I look up and I see it, the Decalogue right up there, and I wonder how many of those politicians that we have voted in have forgotten what this country was built on. 
the blessings that God has designed for the United States of America that we received because we were an obedient country to God's commandments and statutes. There's no coincidence to that. There's no coincidence to that. We found favor from God like no other country other than Israel. Well, they're given up when they follow this to these debased minds, to those which are not fitting, being filled with what? Unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, which <laughs> they're whispers, backbiters. That's people that talk about other people behind their backs. Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, <laughs> inventor of evil things. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. You know, that's what happens. That's why he speaks about the curses, because he he knows what will happen. He he knows we're his children, we're his creation before we're saved, right? But, But we're his children. He knows what happens when we don't follow God's commandments, statutes, and judgments. He's doing this because he loves us. And he's given us his word because he loves us. And you can turn back to Deuteronomy. And so he says, the Lord will strike you with madness, with blindness and confusion of the heart. We're seeing it today. That's why I brought you to Romans. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. Isn't Isn't that interesting? As one who cannot see. We just talked about that. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall not only oppress, uh, sorry, be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. What is he saying there? You will be without hope. You will be in complete and utter despair. I don't want this. I don't want anything to do with this. Look, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ tonight. You don't want this. You you don't want this. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that's backslidden. Maybe we use that term, it's a Christian Easter. It means you're not walking according to God's commandments and statutes. Maybe there's something happened in your life that you were hurt. Maybe you got angry at God. And you think, I'm going to get even. Well, no. You're going to be on the losing end of that. God doesn't want to curse you. God wants to bless you. He wants to restore you. He wants to establish you in relationship for all of eternity. He wants good things and blessings upon you. It's the devil that wants to destroy you. Because he can't stand that you worship the living God. He can't stand it. You shall betroth the wife. Men, think about this for a minute. Women, think about this. Married couples. But another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from you before you, and you shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. What is he saying? He's saying all that you hold dear, all of it, all that you hold dear will be removed from you because of your idolatry. And you know why he'll do that? 
He'll do that so that you will put your eyes on him and being drawn back into the fold. Or if you were never saved, that you would realize you need help. You need a redeemer. You need a savior. I I have a question, friends. Is there anybody here that can save themselves tonight? Does, Does anyone here have the ability, no matter how strong you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much uh, possessions or comfort or, or all the things that you might have, can it save you? Can it prevent you from dying? Last I checked, unless we're raptured, every single person will die. Death is inevitable. The question is, what happens after you die? The choice that you make now, here, has eternal consequences. Blessings and cursings. He's going to talk about that in chapter 30. He's going to say, I wish that you would choose life and not death. Your sons and your daughters, I mean, how do you, you know, they're going to be given to other people. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them in the day. They, there shall be no strength in your hand. I just, as a father, I can't imagine what the people thought during the Assyrian invasion as their children were taken off captive in 700, you know, somewhere between 700 and 800 B.C., because they had chose to follow a pagan god. And where was that god to save them? The god they made with their hands. The god they worshipped with the lust of their hearts. He couldn't save them. I think the 586 BC in the Babylonian invasion with Judah. The northern tribe had already been dispersed, you know, and now you have the southern tribe, you have Judah like that. And I begin to think about Judah and what was going on there. And it's the Babylonian captivity. I think of Daniel, 605 B.C., first taken over there. And then eventually, 586, the rest of them go. I mean, think about that for a minute. Your loved ones, many of them slaughtered before your eyes. Your children taken into a foreign land in captivity. And it was prophesied that that would happen for how many years? Seventy. But it didn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way today. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of the land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. I don't like that. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which you can, cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Now, now verse 36, it's believed, and, and I believe it, we start looking prophetically now at the time. Now, now we turn our attention, this moves into to prophecy, because everything we saw before, yes, that, you could say that was all prophetic. It, you saying these curses will happen. But now, when we go through these, you can't miss it throughout church history. You, you can't miss it through Israel's history, better said, excuse me. The Lord will bring you and the king. Wait a minute, what? The king? What did God establish? 
a theocracy. What did man want? He didn't want to serve God. He wanted to serve someone that would compromise. Why? Because that person would be a respecter of persons. Where God isn't. God says it like it is in love. He didn't want compromise. But man does. He says, a king. Who is the first king? Saul. Right? How many hundreds of years was this written before Saul was even, you know, God knew. He knew what they would do. Whom you would set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. I want you to think Saul, David, who came after David? His son, Solomon, married 700 women, 300 concubines, right, like that? And what happened? They began to worship at their pagan idols. It's just like God said, wooden stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all the nations where the Lord will drive you. And you shall carry much seed out of the field, but gather little in. And the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of its wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have an olive tree throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go where? Into captivity. And this is exactly what we talked about earlier, the Syrians and the Babylonians. That's exactly what happened. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. What is it saying? They're going to live like Egypt. That's what it's talking about. Remember the plagues and the different things that happen? They're going to live like Egypt because their hearts are going back to Egypt. Because you can take the man out of Egypt, but if he keeps looking back, what did Jesus say? You're not fit for the kingdom of God if you keep looking back. You can't plow straight. You can bring the man out of Egypt, but if he desires Egypt, it will still be in his heart. You will speak to me with your lips, but your heart will be far from me. That's what he's talking about here. You'll live like you're in Egypt. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. They were supposed to be a mighty nation, God had said in the blessings in chapter 28. They were to be this mighty nation. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses, not blessings shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. I mean, Moses at this point, he's, he's pleading with them, listen. Can you imagine Moses? I mean, not many days from now, you know, he's going to go up and the Lord's going to say, hey, you know, Moses, call Joshua. He's going to appear in a pillar right in front of them. So clearly we believe Joshua could hear what he was saying to Moses. He says, Moses... You're done. 120-something years, you're done, Moses. Good job, right? I just want you to think about this. He knows these are the last words he's going to speak to the people he loves. He saw what happened to the previous generation. He's now talking to the kids. These were like his kids because all the parents died in the wilderness. But they were to watch. They were alive when they fled Egypt. They were just boys and girls. But he knows them all. Because he's, he's going to be 120. 
they're probably in their 50s right about now. Somewhere in there. He just so desperately wants them to listen, exhort them. And you shall be upon, oh, excuse me, and they shall be upon you for a sign, a wonder, and in your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with what? Joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. It was a choice. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies. If you're not going to serve God with joy, you're not going to have the gladness of heart. Well, fine, then you're making another choice, aren't you? You'll serve your enemies then, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and and need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he's destroyed you. I want you to think about this. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then who came after that? The Romans. And we see that iron, and that's what that speaks to. Look at verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. From the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you do not understand. What nation do you think he's talking about? He kind of gave us a hint in the previous verse when he says yoke of iron. What nation is referred often to Scripture in iron like that? Rome. A nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly, no sure favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land. Until you are destroyed, they shall not leave your grain or new wine or oil, increase your cattle or offspring, your flock. Do you remember that's exactly what they thought Jesus was going to do? They thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman oppressor. They thought that's that's why they were going to crown him king in John 6. They said, okay, Jesus, we read the scripture. We know Messiah is going to come. You're going to overthrow the... Yes, when he comes again. In the millennial reign, he's going to absolutely do that. But he came to save. He came to die. And that's exactly what Rome did. They took all of the produce, all of the oil, all of of the, the fruits of the land. And then something specific happens right around 70 AD. It started 69 AD. The Jerusalem siege, where they placed the siege in Jerusalem. Three different, well, I think it's four, if I remember correctly through history, four different times they come up. It's, it's quite interesting when you studied, if you've never studied the, the siege of Jerusalem through Titus in AD 70, started with his, his dad Vespucian, but if you go through and you look at it, what they did is they came into Jerusalem, you, 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 you know Jerusalem, many walls, there's an outer wall, you, you've seen pictures, things like that, that's okay. So what they did is they came in, in Israel, um, the people actually backed, backed up, kind of drew them in, and then they would go out and attack. And then they would back retreat and then go out and attack. And they did this several times. Well, what they were doing is they were going out, and they were going into the fields, and they were gathering, right, figuring they could hunker down and they could basically out-survive them. If this went on year, 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 you know, the Romans are there. They're, they're going to have to get more and more produce, things like that. They didn't just have it readily available. They're, you know, they're going to have... They're going to have to basically give up. That's what they thought. We'll just outweigh them. So what they did is they were going out, and they started to see that some of the Jews were tunneling out, and they would go under these, and they were going out like that. So what Rome did is they actually took around that whole area, they took and they put um, three different legions together, and they separated them, one at the north, one at the south, and one right by the east. And they put a big, uh, basically formed a wall around that so that the Israelites could not get out anymore. Now, I I want you to think about something that was also prophesied to the Jews as a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment in Matthew 24. 
when he says, when they come against you, right? Remember when that was written, roughly around 33 AD, 40 years before it had happened. He says, don't go and flee from the, you know, don't stay there, don't get your stuff, flee from the rooftops and get out, right? The near fulfillment. We know that's not, we know prophetically that's talking about the great tribulation, right? That we know what the far fulfillment of that is, will be. But you look at the near fulfillment, those that actually turned around and fleed and listened to Jesus Christ when they said these things were happening, they got out and escaped. But those that didn't and tried to hunker down because they wanted to protect the temple and all the elements and things in the temple, they ended up taking and they put this barrier, as I mentioned. And then what they did is they attacked the outer wall. And then they would go in, and at first the Romans would back up, and they, man, what are we going to do? And finally they brought up, you know, Romans had these big things that would just hit the walls with uh, basically like rods, just slam them in until finally they break them down. Well, the Jews get smart, and they actually tunnel underneath that and they dig all the, the dirt and everything out of that, a heavy rain comes, right? And they know what's going to happen when you do that. It's, the weight is going to crush and it's going to break the, 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 whatever you want to call it, the thing that they're using to slam into the wall. So it falls down and breaks. But what they didn't count on is the amount of rain that they had gotten. And they got so much rain that what it actually ends up doing is also collapsing that, collapsing that outer part of the wall. So the wall ends up breaking down. They didn't count on that. They retreat back up to get out of the hole as they'd come back up. The Romans, no, not at first they didn't know what was happening. They're like, why is the wall? They thought maybe they were coming out to attack them. But then the Romans start to realize, oh, no, no, they're retreating. The Romans come in with one of their legions. They come in and they start attacking. And then they back them up to the second wall, right? And that was the first siege. Then there's the second, the third. They keep going each wall, wall, till finally they get to the temple. Now, at this point, I'm telling you all this because as we're going to read it prophetically, it's exactly what God would say would happen. Because no longer can they tunnel out anymore. Water becomes a big deal. Food. And what they begin to do is some of the most horrific things. Josephus wrote about it as a historian. It's, you, can, you can go back and read these things from historians consuming and eating their children. Horrible things. God's chosen people. They weren't listening to what God was saying to them. This is prophetic. The Lord is going to bring a nation from afar to the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flies. A nation's language you don't understand. A nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly or serve favor in the young. And you shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. And that's exactly what happened. They shall not leave grain, wine, or the increase of your cattle or offspring or flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you. It's, it's been suggested by scholars over one million died in the Jerusalem siege. You at all your gates until the, your high walls and fortified walls in which you trust. Do you see that? Come down thoroughly all through your land. It's exactly what happens if you go back and study that uh, Jerusalem siege like that. Titus. Throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. Talking about cannibalism. Whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. Just reported cannibalism. The sensitive and the very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother. 
toward the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of the children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter the placenta which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for the lack of everything in the siege and the desperate straits in which the enemy shall distress you in all your gates. Are you tracking? Are you tracking what God said? What happened to them? And it's exactly what happened. And if, if you didn't know how prophetic your Bible is, 27% of your Bible's, prophecy. And this happened historically, just as we're reading here. I want you to think about how many thousands of years this was written in the future. Before this happened in AD 70, roughly around 1400, 1300 in that time period, this is written. 1300 years, 1400 years, some even say 1433 to be specific. Now friends, we talked about the Sunday being a prophet means you have to be right all the time, 100%. And God is right 100% of the time. There's over 1,300 different prophecies in your Bible, 500 or so just on Messiah himself. Wolverd wrote a, wrote, wrote a great book. I have a, a book in my, my personal library on all of the prophecies of the Bible, and you can just go through many of them. There's still some that are to be fulfilled, but at this point... 800 of them that are all fulfilled. I mean, over and over again. You, you can look at, you know, extra biblical evidence. The Bible is trustworthy. And if God said, this is what's going to happen, he also talked a time for you and I in a future. He said, those that are believers in Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, it's called the church. In 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 5, he says, the church will not come unto wrath. Well, I'm a little bit confused then, maybe, some of you are sitting here saying, because I don't understand. I, I read Matthew 24, and I see that there's going to be a great tribulation with the Jews. I read Revelation, and I, I read about a great tribulation starting at chapter 4. Chapter 6 is when the wrath of the Lamb is poured out. It says, from Jesus Christ. It's not the Antichrist, it's Jesus Christ. So if all these things are happening... And God said that the church is not given unto wrath. What's that mean? It means that we're not here. I just want everybody to hear that tonight. Because, and again, I don't know if everybody here is saved. What the Bible tells you with extreme detail is that if you haven't made a profession of, for Christ, if you haven't asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you're not going to be part of that rapture. You're not going to be part of the catching up which means you're going to go through the Great Tribulation. If you read Revelation chapter 6, and you begin just to go through a few of the judgments, just the first quarter of the population, roughly how many billion people are alive today? Some say 7.4 to be specific. You just take a quarter of that population, that's 1.8 billion roughly, will die. Nobody has to go through this. If God is right 
Well, now it would be how many thousands of years? Because we're, you know, 2019, here we are, going into 2020 almost. So 3,000 plus years ago, God was right about every single detail with this Jerusalem siege. Is he not right about the judgment that is coming? Is he not right to warn all those that would obey Jesus Christ, that would listen to him, receive him as Lord and Savior, that they would not enter into this and that they would be saved from the wrath to come? That's why we're here for such a time as this, to let people know that Jesus loves them and he wants to save them and he is the only way. Because when you don't listen to God and you begin to trust in your strength, in your government, in your walls, as Israel did, it leads to ultimate destruction. It leads to death. It's horrific to think of cannibalism. It's horrific to think of men and women eating their children. If you do not carefully observe, verse 58, all the words which this law is written in the books, what's he talking about? Well, the Pentateuch or just Deuteronomy, either way, you may fear this glorious and you may fear the, this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, right? Jehovah Elohim. Then the Lord will, br- then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues. Great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Do you, do you know one of the diseases that my son actually has? Uh, some of you know my son has Crohn's disease. And I remember learning about it and uh, never had heard about it before. Uh, he was 10 years old when he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He's, praise the Lord, God's healed him and kept him well. He's going to be 16 next month. And um, I was interested because I had never heard of this, and I didn't really know what it was. And so I began to look. And um, do you know where this disease is attributed or brought back to what people group? Eastern... Jews, Jewish people. It actually comes, at least the way we understand this, the first markings of the disease that we can find of any person group having that happen to be Eastern Jews. He talks about these diseases. It's just interesting because God's always right. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed, things you haven't even seen yet. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I want you to think about what the population after the Jerusalem siege. You went from a people group somewhere of one to two million, many speculate, some even say as high as three million. Now, I want you to also think, you know, what led to this mass carnage also. Do you know when the Jerusalem siege happened? A couple days before Passover. Do you know what else that means? People were making Aliyah, going back, right? Making a pilgrimage. That means that the... Worst possible time, if you would, 
because now you have a city that normally holds about 600,000 to a million was now packed to about 3 million when all of this happened. And they estimate somewhere around half a million Jews were left out of the entire population. God brought them through the wilderness wandering with no food, right? He provided supernaturally. With water, he provided supernaturally. They were in the middle of a desert, right? For 40 years, 38 being specific, but for 40 years. And they grew. They grew in population. They went from 2.6, 2.7, all the way up to some speculate 3 million. But because of their sin and because of their disobedience, down to roughly a half a million. It doesn't have to be this way. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And we saw that. And they shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your father have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have rest, resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguished soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. Do you know what it's like to live without hope? In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight of your eyes. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. Josephus wrote about this. Some say anywhere between 17,000 and 97,000 ended up being put into slavery right after the Jerusalem siege, and they were brought down to Egypt and put on ships, and they were sold as slaves to the Egyptians and different people groups. I can't help but thinking about this, and certainly the Lord didn't say this. It's not thus saith the Lord, but when I read this, it seems like to me God is very clearly giving us a picture. You want Egypt so bad, I'll give you Egypt. God delivered them from Egypt. God delivered them from sin. You want your sin so bad? He'll, he'll give you your sin. He'll give you over to it. He'll give you over to a debased mind. Doesn't that frighten you? It should frighten you to not be in the will of God, to not walk according to the obedience and truth of God. The most important thing, to not walk in the love of Jesus Christ. He says, in ships, by the way which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies and male and female servants, but uh, no one will buy you. Hmm. You know, we have a new covenant. Look at John 14, 15. We're part of a better covenant. That's the good news. I don't want to certainly end on a negative note there that way. I mean, we just read that. You're like, well, that's heavy. Uh, but it's true. You know, God desires to bless us. You know, he ushered and gave us a better covenant. If you love me, 
keep my commandments. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And that's what happens when you get saved. You get sealed by the Holy Spirit. He abides in you, and you abide in him. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither seeks him nor knows him. Remember we talked about that spiritual darkness? Because they cannot see. For he, do, he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. If Jesus says he's going to come, Maranatha, amen? He's going to come. Look, we're going to close there tonight. I, we can't walk out of here tonight without giving an invitation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we cannot walk out of this building tonight without knowing that every person here has had an opportunity to ask Jesus Christ to come in and be their Lord and Savior. Because this, God desires to bless you. God desires to, to bring you into relationship. God desires to save you. And he wants to do it forever. I want to just ask everybody to bow their heads here. Again, I don't know. We, we get together often. We make assumptions, but I don't know. I just want everybody to bow their heads right now. And if, if you haven't asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, but you're, you're moved by the Spirit of God, you know, <laughs> we just went through chapter 28, and you're thinking... Pastor, you know, how does that? <laughs> maybe, maybe God's been stirring your heart to this. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart and, and telling you, you are beloved. You are loved by God. He's been telling you that he so desires for you to come home. He came to die. And he wants you to know it was for you. Even if you were the only person ever alive, he wouldn't have done anything different because he loves you. You are the apple of his eye. When he looks at you, that's speaking to the retina, you are literally that place in his eye that is faster than anything closing and opening. You are everything to him. If you haven't asked Jesus Christ in your heart, I'd like you to pray here with us tonight. Don't walk out of here without making a, a prayer to Jesus to receive him, to believe on him, to ask him to be Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. Jesus, we, we come before you right now. Lord, we're sinners. Lord, every one of us has blown it. Lord, we've tried to be good people, but God, even in, a, even in our, our striving to be good, Lord, we've lied, we've, we've steal, you know, stolen, we've bared faults. We've done just things that don't align with you, Jesus, with your perfection, 
with your love. And so, Lord, we, we know that on our account we, we have sin, and, and you tell us in your word the, the wages of sin is death. But you also tell us that you have a gift for us, the gift of eternal life, if we would ask you, Jesus, to be our Lord and Savior. So, Jesus, we pray right now, would you come into our hearts? We believe. And if that's you here tonight, say, I believe. And let him come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. And know that you are now part of the children of God. You are now part of a family that our Father has said can never be removed from his hand. A child that can never be taken away. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for redeeming us. We thank you for loving us. And we thank you for setting us right. If, if you prayed that prayer tonight, I, uh, look, we don't want to have you necessarily come up, but just keep your heads down, eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer tonight, raise your hand for me. Nobody else needs to know. Nobody else needs to see anything. Thank you. You can put your hand down. All right, you can put your hand down, too. Today is the day of salvation. Thank you, Father, that you have drawn more into the kingdom tonight. Thank you, Jesus. We rejoice knowing that we now have brothers and sisters in our midst that are now in your kingdom and now and forever. God, I pray you pour your blessing upon them right now tonight, and I pray you pour your blessing upon all those gathered in your holy name, Jesus by your authority, by your word, in obedience, as we just read, according to the commandments and statutes that you've given us. Lord, will you bless and keep your people. Lord, will you make your face to show shine upon all of us here tonight. Be gracious to everyone. Lord, lift up your countenance and your presence upon your people and give them peace and for those tonight, those that accepted Jesus, Lord, I pray you give an extra helping of peace upon them. And Lord, I pray you would baptize them with the Holy Spirit as well, that they would receive all they need. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen, amen. amen.